what you're about to hear is unsupervised. Welcome back to Unsupervised Season 2, Episode 8. As always, I'm your host, Colin Beswick. Joined tonight by Stanley Kipichowder, podcast regulars Adam Denhard and Jake Reiser. How are you doing tonight, boys? Excellent, Colin. Good to be back. How about you, Jake? Doing good. It's nice to feel like we're in the swing of things in the holiday season. It is. We got all sorts of of hockey and Bruins-related topics flying around uh, today and, and recently, too. We'll... We'll dive right in. Um, you know, the big news over the last day has been the David Backus hit on Coleman from the New Jersey Devils. You know, caught him, clipped him, caught mostly head. Um, it, it seemed to fly under the radar a little bit. It was in the last two minutes of uh, a losing effort for the Bruins. And I, I don't know if it's just that or what, but it didn't get a lot of attention. But when I saw the hit, uh, I immediately was, was like, he's going to, He's going to get suspended for this. Um, surprisingly, we didn't see that many other places. But uh, I was curious on both of your thoughts on the hit itself before we dive into the you know the player safety decision. I mean, I was there last night, so I was able to see just what was going on. And it, it was just such a stupid play with such little time left in the game. I just uh, it frustrates me and that's why i have no words for it almost the stupidity of what david backus did last night yeah i i admittedly only saw it on replay because i got fed up with last night's game before it even happened so i i turned the tv off understandable right after after the fourth goal for new jersey yeah that's that's when i checked out but i um in having seen it enough today because everybody's got the every angle on it at this point um i i think it deserved a suspension i don't understand why it happened but most of what i saw was the slow-mo so even if it wasn't super late that's still a, a punishable hit and and Bacchus has had some history lately so i i it's unfortunate like jake said it's kind of you know the big question mark is why would he feel the need to do that in a game where you're down late? Like it's not a helpful hit to make. Even it, if, and even if it's not a help, even if it was a helpful hit to make, why would you hit the guy in the head? It's still exactly. Yeah. It was just so. It was blatantly shoulder to head. It doesn't matter whether it's on slow or whether you're just looking at it on the naked replay. It was very clearly shoulder to head. The puck was so far away from Coleman at that point. And you're down. What were, what was it? Four to one at that point, or four to two with the empty net, with two yep. minutes to go. There's no need to make a hit like that. It's completely unnecessary and takes back us out of the winter class. It takes him out of an experience like the winter classic. I'm uh, not sure whether he's participated in one. I think he did when he was with St. Louis, but I don't remember if that was his first year with us or his last year with them. But just it, it was stupid. It was just a really bad play for him to make and rightfully suspended. Yeah, I saw. I saw a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the what aboutism because there were some other plays last night that, while I personally don't think they were worthy of player safety review, I think there should have been a few penalties that went uncalled. There was the, um, well, actually, there, there it was two real- elbows late, right? Because I know yeah. Donato took yep. one right after. Donato uh, took one right into the ribs just before uh, Nico Heashier got that goal on the breakaway. And then uh, there was say- an elbow or what looked like a, a shoulder to it. A- you know, a sensitive area. 
right after that or right before that i mean yeah there was the the somewhat elbow to Marshand. and I, I had a lot of people in the twitter mentions yelling at me about that today i went back and rewatched that a few times just to to see if i was out of line or what I, that one i don't it was a borderline penalty to me honestly i don't think it was worth any further looks but i understand where bruins fans are coming from uh, when you see uh, you know players getting hurt but the one i wanted to mention in particular and the reason i bring it up is actually that um blake coleman speared brad marsh and right in the throat early early in the game um and i wonder if that played a part in Bacchus's hit on him, assuming it was intentional. And I'm not saying it is, and I don't know if it was intentional, but I have to imagine that player safety factored that into their decision as well, even if they don't publicly announce as much. Um, but yeah, so there was a few, few borderline hits last night. Unfortunately, Bacchus's was by far the worst in my estimation. And Coleman, Coleman practiced today. Looks like he's okay. Thankfully that's the important part, but Bacchus is going to miss a winter classic. And like Jake said, it's just unnecessary. And it, it feels like a broken recording on these podcasts. It seems like every episode, there's a new suspension to talk about, but I uh, didn't like it. We'll, we'll jump into the actual suspension length too. Cause I know people have some thoughts about that. Uh, you know, it was announced earlier tonight that player safety suspended Bacchus three games. If I'm putting on my, uh, my violent gentleman, David or George Peros player safety hat. The way I see the hit personally, if I'm analyzing it is it's late. It's a bit of a blindside hit and he takes a solid three or four strides before he gets to Coleman and then connects almost exclusively with, with Coleman's head. So to me, those are the factors that came into it, but you know, um, for me, three games, I think was appropriate, but did you guys agree with that? Do you think he's he's getting a bit of a heavy punishment? I, I'm seeing a lot of that on Twitter, but you know, with Bruins fans, it it can be tough to look at it objectively. What are they saying on Twitter? Because I don't I don't look at Twitter. You know that. Oh, yeah. the Twitter machine that are Bruins fans. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. even some some of the old old school media, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, I guess, just uh, trying to justify or or a little bit of what aboutism, I guess, there with Bacchus that it's a little too little too heavy for someone they consider a clean player. But I, I don't think that they had much of a choice. When we were talking about this in our, our Slack chat this morning, I said that it's going to be a minimum of two games. More likely it's going to be three because he's considered a repeat offender after uh, his uh, suspension for his headshot against uh, Franz Nielsen last exactly. year. That's exactly the phrasing I was going to point you out on that. It's what – the old school media and the fans consider him a clean player. That doesn't mean the Department of Player Safety considered him a clean player, and they clearly didn't. So for the criterion that the NHL Department of Player Safety and George Peros was looking at, I think it's fine. I think three games is the right amount. It serves a heavy hand in trying to discourage headshots like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, you know, Bacchus has kind of – a history since he joined the Bruins of being a physical presence. And, you know, if he's being charged to do that by motivation or by coaching, then I hope that's not the case, but, uh, you know, a couple of hits in relatively quick succession in the last couple of years, I, I'm honestly three is reasonable because I'm hoping that they're taking his prior non history into account, but, um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was four or five. 
Yeah, same same here. Like I said, when you once you're in that repeat offender category, it's sort of you're you're sort of at the mercy of player safety. And I, we all have opinions on Bacchus, obviously. Um, I think he's more or less a clean player, but I also think he plays a physical game, and I think he's slow. He's, he's slow now, and I think he's he's lagging plays. And not that that's why he hit a guy in the head, but I think he's constantly playing catch up and I think it's putting him in bad positions and he needs to be smarter about how he's playing, but you know, it is what it is. I went and dug up a stat cause I was curious about this when I saw a lot of the, uh, the defending for lack of a better word of Bacchus and his reputation, you know, he's going to lose a little over $200,000 in salary. He's obviously going to miss a winter classic, but I think for a player like him who, who we know a little bit from being in the locker room, being around the team, you know, he's a proud player. He's, he's a long-time player. I think the, the reputation thing is probably important to him. And he went uh, 848 career games without being suspended. But in the last 44 games, he's now been suspended twice for the aforementioned Nielsen suspension and now the Coleman suspension, as well as a match penalty that um, many thought he would get suspended for again a, for a hit on uh, Vinny Trocek from Florida too. So it, it's been a rough go, even without considering the, the skate to the leg, the skate to the face, the numerous pucks and sticks to the face too. So it, it's been a rough, uh, rough two years for yeah. Bacchus here. But here's the thing about Bacchus and the reason that he can go 800. What was the number again? How many games he went before being suspended? Yeah, he went 800. Let me pull it back up. It's 800. Uh, and 48 career games without being suspended, which the is reason, impressive. The reason he can go 848 games without being suspended is because his game was different when he was younger. He could score more. He could skate more. It was a different league, so his style of play was a lot more common, and he could play to it so well. His skill set is just so different from what the league has become. It's that become that much faster, and the scoring has become that much more insane that you have to score in so many different ways. And it's hard for a guy like Bacchus to keep up, and I, I feel a little bad for him because he signed with this team with a different expectation of mine, and it just hasn't lived up to what I think a lot of people have hoped for. So um, I don't know whether it's frustration. I don't know whether it's just how he is now and how he has to adapt his game to what it is today, but that's the reason that he can go so many games without being suspended. See, I think there's some truth to that, but I also think that he's always played a fairly heavy game too. I think, I think it's, like I said, it's sort of caught up to him. I think he's made some bad decisions in the last year or two. And so it's, I think it's a mixture of both personally. But, you know, that, that's just my take on it. Yeah, he, I do remember him being a physical presence in St. Louis. I just don't remember it being particularly as aggressive. And, you know, maybe it's that his style hasn't changed and just this, you know, the sensitivity, sensitivity to calling penalties has changed, which, you know, in a lot of ways has been for the better. Um, but it's, it, it is a sudden departure to see him being suspended and being, you know, set aside for that. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't, it didn't seem particularly egregious until just, you know, this past week and the one beforehand when he made another hit to a, a head, like head neck area on somebody, those didn't seem like a continuation of the kinds of hits that he'd been making in the past. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we've mentioned a couple times he's going to obviously miss the Winter Classic um, along with the game on Saturday against Buffalo and uh, the following game against Calgary, which is uh, also going to be a tough matchup. But 
you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of um, a lot of speculation, a lot of desire from Bruins fans about getting Andres Bjork a chance to play in the Winter Classic at his alma mater and at Notre Dame. And I think it's a cool story. I think we all sort of would like to see Bjork have a chance to play there. You know, it's just, it's a great opportunity for him. But it's something that I I mentioned earlier on Twitter today that. I don't think it's particularly likely for roster construction purposes. Um, and I want to touch on that a little bit before we get into the, the other roster moves that, uh, that were announced today. But the reason I say that is with uh, Charlie McAvoy going on injured reserve today, my understanding of the CBA is that, you know, it's a seven day rule for injured reserve based on comments that Bruce said he was injured in the game on the 23rd against Carolina, blocking a shot. He missed the last game. So if they retroactively date his IR sent to the 23rd, he'd be eligible to return on the 30th at the earliest, meaning he would be able to play in Winter Classic. Bruce said he was day-to-day yesterday, so my assumption would be that he'll he'll be healthy enough to play in Winter Classic, and I, I doubt they want to sit him out just to, just to get Bjork a chance to play. So with that being said, when if and when McAvoy returns, the Bruins have to make a corresponding roster move because they're at the maximum roster limit of twenty three roster, uh, twenty three contracts on the roster. So personally, I think that JFK would be the the first choice to go down because he's waiver exempt. Um, that may be the case. Maybe they go a different direction, um, but in order to get Bjork up, you'd then have to make a second corresponding move if McAvoy is not still on IR. And again, I don't think that he will be, knock on wood. Um, and I, just my opinion here, my take on that is I don't see the Bruins sending Ryan Donato, who's played pretty well recently down, who is waiver exempt. You know, we, we, we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, maybe they send Achari down. He's, he's had a rough year. He's been struggling and, and, while I personally would would perhaps consider that, I don't think the team would. So I want to bring that up with both of you and, and get sort of your, your pulse on that if you think that they should. And if they do, what what route would you take to get Bjork into the lineup? If I were if I were making that decision for the Bruins, I'd probably send JFK down. If I'm if I'm like you said, you know, kinda of high on how Donato's been playing just because it's the least risky move. Um, you know, Achari wasn't signed to an NHL contract to be super high on a points chart. And I think otherwise he's been doing a pretty good job of, you know, stabilizing, you know, wherever he lands in the lineup on a given night, be it some third line minutes, some fourth line minutes, but a consistent skating and checking forward, you know, putting pressure on other teams. So to, to risk losing Achari on waivers, I think would be a, just a bad idea on the part of the Bruins. I don't, I, I don't disagree. I think that JFK is probably the first one sent down if you're going to try and slot Andrews Bjork in there. My hope is that McAvoy is back and everything's great. And I don't know. Would you, you have such a glut of people. Would you also risk sending Stephen Kimper down there? He's got a minimal contract. He's been a slight impact player, but nothing where I would be like devastated if someone happened to claim him. So I might also risk putting Cam on the waiver wire too, just to see what would happen. Yeah, that's a good point. I, that's something I, I would consider. And I think the, the team might consider that as well. And 
you know, Adam points out that Achari, you know, he's a role player, but he's played his role fairly well. He's there to to suppress shots and to play some penalty kill time, and he, he does that effectively. But one of the things that I meant, I I try and mention as often as possible, if only for my own sanity, when it comes to Achari, is that he's 27 plus years old. You know, he's not young. He's not a prospect anymore. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. And personally, I, I don't know if he has a future with the Bruins organization. I mean, he's obviously he's an NHL caliber player, and he may he may land somewhere else. But I, the reason I say that is, I think if they did decide to waive Achari, for example, I don't know how much interest there would be league wide in claiming him. Um, so maybe the team thinks they can sneak him down to Providence in order to to get Bjork up. And if they lose him, they you know they may figure they have an Anton Bleed or someone else to fill the role if, if it really comes down to it or Jamel Smith or, you know, whoever. But, you know, I I think it's often more complicated than that when you have GMs who draft players who have personal relationship with players too. You know, you obviously – that factors into it. It's not not all done, you know, on a spreadsheet, uh, as they say. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see. But uh, the overarching theme there is that as, as well as Bjork has played in Providence over the last few weeks, and as cool as the story would be to have him play in the Winter Classic, and I think we'd all like that for him. I just don't know if it makes enough sense compared to the risk the Bruins would be taking on to make that move or conversely, you know, the message it sends to a Donato or an Achari to wave, to wave them, to give another young player a chance to play in it. So again, it would be a great story, but uh, I'm hesitant to expect that to happen personally. And you just hope everything's okay with Marshan too. If you were talking a lot about the forward core that, he took more than one high hit yesterday and left um, with about a minute left in the game and looking pretty woozy after a high hit from Travis Zajac. So you just hope that whatever is ailing him and is preventing him from playing in Buffalo isn't too severe. Yeah, I, I want to say I saw it uh, today that they had kept him out of practice because he wasn't feeling well in his stomach, which is uh, not his brain. So I hope that it's not just like a, a cover to not – keep Marshand in, um, in concussion protocol if that's what he actually needs from high hits. Um, but it, it's interesting to just to see a couple of more dominoes fall again for the Bruins. You know, it's we thought we were coming out of the, the darkest part of the season with injuries, and, and then you wonder if they're going to be able to pull McAvoy off the injured reserve before the Winter Classic or if Marshand's going to be healthy enough. Um, it, it it just feels like it's been one after another after another this year. Yep, we're still chasing the fully healthy roster. <laughs> it's like every time the team gets close, something happens. Unfortunately, we are so close the other night. Which isn't you know it's not unique to the Bruins, but it's it's just it's been every time you feel like the Bruins are going to take a you know a, a little bit of a shock and get their season going again, it's somebody else has to come out of the lineup. It's brutal, and that's why I wrote a good piece for the website today. Just you got to be patient before making a big move. I like that we've been talking about oh, who we can call up from Providence and how you can kind of shift things around. But I want I would rather wait and make a big move until we've seen everybody gelled together as much as possible, or at the very least, pushed it till the last minute to where you can't see where there's no room to see this team as it was constructed in the off season. So. I like that. I like that we've been talking about minimal moves and not just hitting a panic button, grabbing a trade for something that's going to blow up the whole team. 
Yeah, that, that's the balancing act with a lot of teams this time of year, I think. And there's definitely always, uh, or usually always, some some merit to being patient. But uh, I can understand where fans are are sort of chomping at the bit to to make some moves to this roster. And I mean, for the sake of objectivity, I've been saying even before the season started, I didn't think this roster was particularly good. I think their roster got worse in the off season, particularly in the bottom six. And I've been beating that drum since the start and I tend to fall on sort of the opposite spectrum as, as you do in this particular instance. And that I think they they're coming up to that uh, end of the runway and, and having to make a decision on their roster here in terms of, are they going to add an impact piece or are they, they going to roll with what they have? I think they need another center. I, I think, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Colby caves done an admirable job, but he can't be your, your third line center for a playoff team. So we'll see. Um, which brings me to a, a little segment we wanted to do too about, um, you know, just some with new year's coming up, some new year's resolutions for us, for the team. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll dive into that real quickly, get uh, each of your thoughts on what, what do you have for a new year's resolution? Adam, if you want to start, we'll, uh, we'll dive in there. Yeah, sure. Um, I am resolving for his, uh, his excellency, excellency, the rat, uh, Brad Marchand will resolve to never take another penalty. I know he wow. won't say it out loud, so I'm, I'm resolving it for him. Um, and I look forward to being proven right. Come on, Brad, you can do it. I believe in you. That's technically possible. Yeah. yeah uh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not clinging to that. Don't worry. Um, now if I, if I were to resolve anything for the team, it would probably be just to, um, settled in, you know, we were talking about riding out the changes in the lineup due to injury or due to roster changes just to see what would fit. Um, I think the roster is going to shake out by the end of January, and I think the Bruins are pretty close to that. They just need to figure out those last couple of pieces. So my my ultimate resolution would be to not make a reflexive move, at least not in the first month of the year, the new year, because there's still a good amount of hockey to be played after that. And still at least a couple of weeks after that to do something before the trade deadline, if that's needed. I think that's, I think that's a smart resolution to have. Um, if I were to go with one, maybe I'd tell Tuca to never eat at Buffs Pub again, just so we can avoid any disasters <laughs> like 2015 again. Um, but, but in all seriousness, my resolution would be to help the prospects just find their places. I think that it, it it's, again, it has to do with time uh, trying different lineup combinations, uh, working with guys in practice to make sure that they're confident enough in their own skills. But it's time. We've been waiting long enough for prospects to kind of make the impact we've all been hoping they can. So whether that's Heinen, Donato, Bjork, something, something's got to give at some point. So if that would be my resolution, it would be to help guide those prospects towards that kind of end goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You took my topic and flipped it a little bit. I was jokingly going to say my resolution is to not have to deal with any more goalie uh, controversy, hot takes for the remainder of the season. But as we know here in Boston, that's just not possible. Um, so my real resolution would be sort of the opposite is that um, for the team to make it an impact move sooner rather than later. So they're not paying deadline deal prices. I don't want to see another Rick Nash trade. I got crucified for my take on Rick Nash when it happened. And uh, I would like to point out that I feel, 
I feel like I was right in hindsight. I, I don't think it was a good trade. I think deadline deals generally are not. And I think if there's a trade to be made, I hope that uh, Sweeney and Neely can make something of impact sooner rather than later before prices go up too high. Ideally, like I said, I'd like to see a center come in, but uh, that's a little less reasonable than perhaps getting a you know, scoring forward. Uh, everyone here has, has heard me say I want uh, them to bring in Nino Niederreiter or Jacob Silverberg. I'll take either or both, please. Um, so that's my, my resolution. Um, but even if that doesn't happen, like both of you mentioned, I think as January starts to come to a conclusion, I would expect that the roster is sort of solidified itself, hopefully one way or the, uh, or the other, so that they really know what they have in the team. Um, so we'll see as we go into the new year. And, uh, you know, to wrap up the, this episode, we did want to touch on the Winter Classic. It's obviously coming up here against the Blackhawks. We talked about it a little bit before. Later on in the episode, uh, we have a special guest joining us to go more in, in detail. But I think we're all looking forward to the Winter Classic, but I don't know if any of us are super excited about it, or maybe that's just me. I've mentioned before the, the veneer is sort of worn off for me personally with them just being their third one. But, uh, you know, at least they're going to have Chara and Bergeron back forward, which if you're going to you're going to have a marquee matchup, you got to have Chara and Bergeron in it. I mean, you can't just give up on a one-on-one record, Colin. You got to at least <laughs> you got to get one more win before you bow out of. Uh, I don't care about the Winter Classic anymore. No, I I still have a blast uh, watching it. I, I haven't been able to catch a lot of it because I've been uh, skiing on New Year's Day the last couple of years. So I think I'm going to actually avoid that and settle in and watch this year, and especially because of the chat that I got to have with our uh, with our guest. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. You're right. The kind of shine on the Winter Classic has worn off being in it for a few years. And it's more of a sigh of relief that everybody's back in the lineup, that we can have a really good matchup and not just watch two really beaten up teams go at it. Because those Hawks are sure injured, as I hope you talked about with our guest coming up. Yeah, they're not particularly good either. <laughs> and so that's, the, I mean, they're, they're obviously still a marquee um marquee team franchise but they're not a particularly strong team this year too and when you look at it from that perspective it really is just sort of another chance for two points in the regular season and you know we we joke or or, or somewhat serious but the buffalo game really has more significance to this bruins team and their playoff seating than the winter classic does as much as it's a bigger stage and you know it's all spectacle and all that but i think for a team that's sort of going to be fighting for a wild card spot most likely in the playoffs. They really have to focus on, you know, getting points over, you know, prioritizing a, a game against the Western conference team. Yeah. And that, that kind of was the, was a big question mark that, uh, that we still probably won't get to in the next. Now we'd like to shift gears a little bit in this podcast. We've been lucky to have um, the opportunity to interview several guests over the last few episodes, first with Jake's experience with Dale Arnold last week discussing his book. And now uh, we're going to flip over to my chat with EJ Roddick at the NHL Network uh, as we turn our attention towards the Winter Classic. 
before we before we get into the magic that is the Winter Classic itself, I wanted to try and see if I can get your thoughts on the matchup between Chicago and Boston just as a regular season game. Okay. Now we, we we know it's an original six matchup. We know they've played hundreds of times over the course of the histories of the teams. Yeah. Um, how do you see the goalie situation in Chicago panning out over the next week or so, knowing that Crawford's going to be on the shelf for a little bit um, and that Cam Ward is going to have to step up? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Cam Ward will get an opportunity to be uh, on a big stage, which, uh, you know, he really hasn't had that opportunity for so many years in Carolina. I mean, his rookie year, they won the Cup. He got back to the playoffs and went to the Eastern Final in 2009. Outside of those two opportunities, I mean, he's been kind of in obscurity there in, in Carolina with a team that has not made the playoffs. So now, if he does indeed get the start, uh, you know, that'll be, a, that'll be a pretty important start for him. It's a pretty high profile. So that's interesting. The other thing to consider is Colin Delia, who they brought up from the minors, has come in and played in two games and played extremely well. I mean, it's been near perfect. I think his save percentage is up over 950. So um, it'll be interesting to see what uh, Jeremy Collison decides to do with his goaltending. I would think Cam Ward would get the start just because of uh, his experience and the, the, the platform and the stage that the Winter Classic is. But uh, but Colin Dealey is playing really well right now. So uh, the Blackhawks are really in desperate need of uh, – getting every win they can. So it'll be an interesting decision leading up to that game. Yeah, that's a tough choice, especially knowing that, you know, how big that stage is at the Winter Classic and having, you know, 70,000-plus fans in yep. Notre Dame Stadium. So um, on the on the Boston side of things, you know, starting out the season, it was kind of assumed that Halak would be taking a backup role to Tuka Rask, uh, and it feels like that's kind of flipped on us, at least from what we've seen in New England. Uh, how do you think that Halak's kind of – you mentioned some obscurity, having uh, having Ward not had a super important game for a long time now, and Halak kind of disappearing in New York on the island. Uh, any concern about how he might take those reins? No, I mean, Yarrow's a real pro. He's been around a long time. He, he, he relishes the opportunity to play. Um, you know, he's someone – when I thought it was a good signing by the Bruins to begin with because – you know, Tuka Rask has been a terrific goalie, but he's not someone that, uh, you know, I think Tuka Rask will be better when they need him to be better if he plays, you know, fewer fewer games during the regular season. In years past, I mean, they haven't had confidence in their backup goalie in some seasons, and Rask has had to play a lot of games, and he gets worn down. He's, uh, he's tall, but he's kind of slight, and uh, I think he does have a tendency, like a lot of these guys, to get worn down. So, Halak has come in. He's really been excited by the challenge. He's playing behind a team that is uh, – a really well-structured team, and uh, he's come in and played very, very well. And, uh, you know, in fact, he's played more, in more games than Tuka Rask to this point. So uh, I think either way they go, I mean, Rask has played in a, on, a, on a big stage. Um, Rask has played an outdoor game, although it didn't go well. I know he was pretty upset after that game. It was in kind of a no-show performance by the Bruins against uh, the Canadians uh, a couple of years back. So, um you know, I think either way that Cassidy decides to go there, I think he's okay because Rask is a is a high end goalie and Halak has been around long enough and is playing very, very well. It actually is the stats indicate he's playing better than Rask. So uh you know, I think either way he's in good shape. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think having signed Halak, I think there is a lot of 
confidence in him being a pro, like you said, and, and that he'd be able to take up a bit more of the slack, given that um, I agree that Rask is kind of, I wouldn't really call it a durability issue, but a fatigue issue maybe. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think, yeah, and I think if you look at a lot of the goalies around the league, I think last year when you get to the final, Holtby and Fleury, both guys played substantially fewer games than they normally played. And I think both benefited from that. And Flory was outstanding, particularly in the first three rounds. And Holtby, uh, once he got the job back from group hour in the first round, uh, his game kind of took off. So I think uh, in the end, it seems like we need you need to have confidence in two goalies. And, you know, Yara Halak, it was unfortunate. He was with the Islanders, and the, the team wasn't very structured, and they gave up a lot of shots. And it's an easy place for a goalie to get beat up. And uh, I think even the goalies that are there now on the island, you think Grice and, uh, and Leonard, uh, because of the structure that Barry Trotz has brought in, all of a sudden now those guys, those numbers are better. And I think it's, you know, it's not a coincidence that goalies can have more success behind structured teams. And that's, I think, what happened with Hawk. Definitely. Um, and speaking of structure, moving out from the net, uh, Boston's gotten back a couple of key players in Dan O'Chara and Charlie McAvoy, Kevin Miller over the last few weeks. So it looks like Char- uh Charlie just went back on injured reserve today. Yeah. Um, how does that match up against Chicago's defensive core? Because we know that they still have Keith and their, you know, some of their core, but it feels like it's gotten a little bit lighter in Chicago over the yeah, last few years. Yeah, well, there's, well, there's no question. I mean, it's it's changing times for the Blackhawks for sure. I mean, the good news for the Blackhawks organization is they were, for a decade, they were one of the best teams in this league, the best in some seasons. They won three Stanley Cups. With the salary cap uh, the way it is and having to make moves and do things and guys getting a little older, having to retire, maybe underperforming, uh, things change. And, you know, I think Duncan Keith is still a heck of a player, but, I mean, his minutes are down around – you know, 22 minutes a game somewhere in there now, that's that's different. He's an older player now. I think he can be a really good and helpful player, but he can't carry quite as big a load. Brent Seabrook, uh, you know, there's a guy that's on a big contract. It's a fast league. He's a bigger man, not as quick. You know, he needs more help out there for sure to be successful. So, I mean, those are two big pieces of the group. They traded Yarmerson a couple of years ago. He was kind of another guy that was a big piece of that group of defensemen that helped them win Stanley Cups, and they've kind of moved in you know, younger players on defense, like, you know, an Eric Gustafson, for example, or, uh, you know, uh, Yorki, uh, Yuri Haru, who has ended up uh, going over to Finland to play at the World Juniors. He's played substantial this year. Forsling, Gustav Forsling has played a bunch for them this year. So, I mean, they've moved younger guys in there, and with that comes, uh, you know, it's a transition for their team. You know, the Bruins are, I think, uh, you know, it's been a little bit, uh, they've been a little more fortunate. Unfortunately, Charlie McAvoy's been hurt, but, I mean, that's a franchise-type young defenseman they were able to acquire. Now, he's been out of the lineup. He was back in. Now he's back on the IR. So that's problematic for them. But Char has been a rock for them, and, uh, you know, they've been able to to bring guys in. Corey Krug has been a really good player for them for the last several years. He's a puck mover. I like the addition of John Moore on a very reasonable contract. He's kind of a young pro that can skate. Matt Grizzlick has come in and has been a player for them. So they've been able to kind of, you know, piece things together a little bit better than Chicago. But both of the teams have been kind of transitioning players into that group of defensemen on both sides. I think Boston's just been a little bit more successful at it, maybe because they've had some better prospects they've been able to move in. 
Yeah, I would, uh, the, the depth of prospects in Boston has been helpful, and I think they, they've honestly gotten a little bit lucky, too, with how well Brandon Carlos played and you mentioned yeah. Grizzly coming in to play. Both of those guys are playing close to 20 minutes a night, which isn't something you expect out of you yeah. know, a 22- to 25-year-old relatively new defense. Yeah, Grizzly has been a real find for them. I mean, we, we know the story about his dad being on the ice crew there with the you know, with the Bruins for many, many years. And, you know, he was a college player and watching him play in college. I wasn't going to, I wasn't so sure he was going to make the transition and be a guy that could come in and have this kind of success. But I mean, you're right. He's playing more than 20 minutes a game and he's been a helpful player for that team. So it's been, it's a terrific story in terms of his personal circumstances and uh, also just uh, really for the team to have a a guy come in and be able to, to step in and be able to play those minutes and be helpful for your group. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so stepping a little farther out from the net now, uh, if you wanted to chat about forwards, um, getting Jacob Brusk and Patrice Bergeron back was huge for the Bruins um, to give them a little more forward balance. And how do you feel that uh, Chicago has worked on balancing out their lineups with Taves, Kane, and Debrinket all being separated? Yeah, well, they 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 made a trade to add a you know a couple of young forwards in Perlini and Strom. Uh, you know, with the trade with Arizona, so it was kind of a two-for-one thing there. And uh, that's given them a little bit more depth. They're given opportunity to those guys. I mean, Strom was a third overall pick in 2015. It didn't really pan out for him in Arizona. He seems like he's getting more of an opportunity to play in Chicago. That's the good news. Uh, the Hawks have actually played better over the last several games. Uh, you know, Patrick Kane is still among the very best forwards in the league. Jonathan Tays has really had a good bounce back season i mean last year he wasn't quite up to his standard but this year he's played very well and uh you know he's on pace to maybe have 30 goals this year and and, and maybe over 60 or 65 points so i mean he's been good the brink cat has done nothing but score goals his whole life and you know everybody says he's too small but he's he scored goals in junior he came to chicago and he scored goals there he's on pace to score 30 goals or more this year uh, brandon sod's game has been a little bit better of late had a two-goal performance against minnesota uh, earlier in the week, so that's uh, you know that's a plus for them. Uh, Anisimov is healthy again; he's a helpful guy for that group. They got to hope that Strom and Perlini can come in and be helpful players. They got a young guy like uh, Dominic Cajon who's come in and, and played okay so far. So again, it's it's a group that's really in transition. You know, I mean, they don't have a Marion host anymore. I mean, he was a huge piece of the puzzle for that team, and. Uh, you know, they ended up trading Artemi Panarin a couple of years back, kind of concerns about future salary cap issues. And, you know, that was a big deal to make. They got Saad back, but he's not the dynamic player that Panarin is. So, um, you know, for the Hawks, I think that they're okay up front. I, I think really the biggest issue for the Hawks is, is really being more structured, being better in their own end, and, and having consistently good goaltending. And, you know, Corey Crawford uh, had been out at the start of the year. He came back. But, you know, we talked about it earlier, is like having that structure in front of the goaltender to make the goaltender's job a little bit easier. And, uh, you know, I think that's where the Hawks have really struggled. Their D just hasn't been great in their own end. Their forwards maybe haven't been necessarily uh, great on the on the back check and and maybe the play in the neutral zone, that puts more pressure on their goaltenders. So, you know, that's where I see the Hawks have the biggest issue right now. And with Corey Crawford out, they're hoping that Ward and Delia can – can kind of, uh, you know, right the ship for them, but they really need to be more structured in front of those guys if they're going to have success. Yeah, that's understandable. So so moving into the fact that it is going to be the Winter Classic, which is a, yeah. a huge a huge stage, and, you know, you mentioned the pressure that, that will be on 
both teams, honestly. Um, do you think this might be the year that the Hawks can break their Winter Classic curse? <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. The years where we thought where the Hawks were among the best teams, right, it was a struggle. Now they're a team that's really, uh, you know, kind of in a rebuild mode a little bit or retool mode, however you want to put it, and maybe this is the year they end up winning. So it, it's hard to say. It is a one-game scenario uh the elements obviously are a factor these are two teams that don't see each other an awful lot even though they're original six teams even though they met in the stanley cup final you go back several years now to 2013 but uh they don't see each other a lot things have changed on both sides i expect it to be a really entertaining game as long as the conditions are good and i assume they will be dan craig and his group have done a great job with uh you know putting these outdoor games on with with several years of experience now but you got a lot of high end really talented players. I mean, when you think of Pasternak and, and Marchand and, and Bergeron and Krejci on the Bruins side and Kane and Taze and Debrinkat and uh, Keith and some of the players that the, the Blackhawks have, um, I think it should be it should make for a very entertaining game. We'll see how it plays out on the ice there in South Bend. Yeah, you mentioned, too, that Chicago has been playing better as of late, so I wonder if it's a, a good stride for them to hit as they go into this. You know, the, the Bruins kind of laid an egg against New Jersey um, last night as we record this on, on Friday. Yeah. Um, so so it, it'll be interesting to see. And, and working in their favor, too, is that finally it's not a baseball stadium that they're playing in. So <laughs> maybe they can shake it a little bit that way. Um, yeah. I, I'm glad that I'm glad that you mentioned conditions too, and I know that you know weather can definitely be a factor in, in outdoor games, even if it's a nice day. Um, and hopefully, Mother Nature doesn't shift too much on us. But it looks like it might be a little wet or snowy that day. Um, how how does Dan address stuff like that, where where the ice just might get a little flooded? Does that well, rain change? is rain is definitely more of a concern than snow. I mean, snow is something that they can, they've played through before. I mean, and in Soldier Field a couple of years back, the Penguins and Blackhawks played through like a virtual blizzard. And uh, they just have those – they have that team of shovelers that come on the ice every few minutes and, and scrape the ice and, and, and do their thing. So they're prepared for that. Rain is a little bit more problematic because it does hamper the ice conditions. The uh, equipment gets wet and gets heavier, so that's a problem for the players, uh, their shields. Uh, you know, the, if the guys who wear the half shields, they get wet, they get foggy. So that's a little bit problematic. So so rain is definitely a much bigger issue than than snow and also, uh, you know, too much sun, as we've seen in past years. And that stadium is an open bowl, and if it's a sunny day there, glare could be an issue that they have to deal with. So I, I think for, uh, you know, when you look at it, uh, you know, Dan Craig and Mike Craig and that whole crew, they've been through so many of these now that they've dealt with just about every possibility and the equipment they have is state-of-the-art, and they'll be prepared for, for whatever happens. And, and, you know, that's the good news for the teams and for the league is that, uh, you know, these guys have, have had that experience and they'll be ready for anything. Uh, if we get a snowy day, what I would assume they'll do is just shovel that shovel the sheet of ice as often as they feel they need to and, you know, make sure that the puck is traveling at the right rate of speed and it's not kind of caught up in the snow. We remember going back to the first Winter Classic uh, with all the snow in Buffalo, kind of that snow globe effect. It would be kind of cool if we saw that in Notre Dame. But the weather forecast, the one thing I've learned, Adam, is the weather forecast shifts all the time. And you might think it's going to snow and it rains. You might think it's going to be uh, bad weather and it's good weather. So call me on uh, on Tuesday morning. <laughs> 
And I'll have a better idea because uh, I can remember the game Washington and Pittsburgh where they moved the game to the evening and the, and the forecast was for a window of opportunity to play. And then halfway through like the second period, it started raining and it rained throughout the rest of the game and they managed to get it in, but they were not anticipating that. And it just goes to show you that, you know, the old story, you can't uh, fool with mother nature. It's going to, whatever's going to happen weather-wise is going to happen and these guys will deal with it. I know, and it's so many days away that it really can shift in either direction. Yeah. Um, and you, I would love to call you on Tuesday morning to check in, but I assume you're probably going to be a little busy that day. Well, no, I'll be, uh, I'll be there waiting to do interviews with the Bruins players, so feel free to call. Okay. <laughs> the, um, but you mentioned, too, so I know that, that you guys in, in the national media and the NHL Network do a great job of bringing the game and the locker room and the, the athletes to the fans. What um, – what is? Could you give us a little peek behind the curtain from a media perspective? What do you see? What do you look forward to? Uh, any any well, favorite parts of the whole experience? Well, I mean, for me, it's you know, it's nice to be in a different venue. I remember Mike Babcock years ago when he was coaching the Red Wings. It was the second Winter Classic, I guess. It was the Red Wings and Blackhawks, and Mike taught, and that was those Red Wings teams that had. I think they were coming off winning a Stanley Cup, and they might have gone to the final that year as well. But um, they were talking about the idea of. You know, it breaks the, the routine. And anything that – Mike said anything that kind of breaks the routine is great because it's an 82-game schedule and, you know, you're kind of in that set routine all the time. And because when you can break routine and have something totally different, have your family there, have, uh, you know, play in an outdoor setting, uh, have all the attention kind of on your teams. Uh, you know, he goes, it does it – just, it just breaks the monotony of the 82-game schedule. So that's one thing from a team's perspective. I think that always happens with the players. They're excited about it because it kind of takes them out of the normal, takes them out of the routine, and kind of breaks things up. So they enjoy that. From a media standpoint, I mean, the league has done a good job of giving everybody a lot of access to the, to the teams. Uh, we've seen the, you know, the Road to the Winter Classic shows, the 24-7 type shows they've had over the years. For, with, at different media outlets, I guess HBO had it for a while, and I think Showtime was doing some of it, and then the NHL Network had some of it now, and NBC Sports Network has some of it. So the fans get to see a lot of that in the lead up. For for me, you know, going there a lot of times, I'm reporting, so I'm, you know, I might be ringside or or waiting for guys to come through the tunnel and or or going in the locker room. I know last year I was in the Buffalo locker room for a good chunk of time before the game and watching the guys go through their preparation. I remember Ryan O'Reilly coming through very, very early, and, uh, you know, he had a nice-looking uh, hat, and these guys get kind of <laughs> revved up for the game. So, um, you know, it's kind of cool. You're on the bench. I guess to do a bench interview and see the different, uh, you know, kind of get a really up-close look as things you don't normally see. So, you know, from a media standpoint and from, from my circumstance with the NHL Network, you know, I get a closer look at everything. And I think that's something that's, you know, I, inevitably I take something out of that that I'm able to bring and, and, and bring and move forward in terms of, you know, the day-to-day coverage that we bring to the league. And, to the and, do you, and can you think of one particular experience doing one of those, you know, rink sides or even just being in the tunnel at the time that, that stands out as a, a fondest memory, so to speak. Um, well, there's all kinds of things. I mean, I've done a, a number of these. Um, you know, I could. I mean, last year, for example, I was on the glass. We're waiting to do a post-game interview, and I was on the glass right next to where the Rangers scored. And you know, at that end, and uh, they all kind of like everybody just kind of gathered and jumped into the glass, like right, basically right in front <laughs> of me. 
So yeah. that was something that normally we don't get to see on an everyday basis. I, you know, I know in Ann Arbor at the uh, at the the Winter Classic there with Detroit and Toronto. I remember I got to kind of be along the boards for a, a little bit of the third period, and the the the, the closest the ability to watch Henrik Zetterberg working that close, where I could see his eyes and see him kind of doing all the little the little math equations that, uh, you know, these guys do in seconds to determine which way they're going to go or how they're going to handle a certain play. That was really eye opening to me because it was just, I could really, you know, watch all that unfold because I was that close. So, you know, stuff like that is exciting. And I'm kind of like, I've been a rink rat my whole life and I'm, you know, I'm always kind of curious about equipment and sticks and, and things of that nature. And last year I, I learned a little bit, Ryan O'Reilly had the, uh, the true skates, which are a new brand of skate and has a little bit of a different look to it. So I was curious about that. So I asked the trainer and he gave me some background. I was, we're on the bench there at city field. So, um, you know, stuff like that is really kind of cool for me to see. Yeah. That's a, that's a awesome perspective to get from being that close. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you mentioned being a rink rat. So I, my, one of my last questions for you is what is one of your fondest memories of yourself playing outside i know that you played pond hockey in in your childhood and yeah and... i mean i would say that you know for me there was one winter like i grew up in the new york uh you know area suburban new york westchester county and uh there was one winter when it was an awfully cold winter and we had a lot of uh we had a lot of pond time over at the the uh bronx river area there there's a little area near where i live that that was frozen quite a bit and uh, i can remember trudging through the snow and and uh you know being out on that ice a lot and and that was so much fun and uh i mean it's 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 a wonderful experience especially you know really young or old but when you're young i mean you just you have the whole day in front of you you have this big sheet of ice you, there's no boards there's no you know there's this kind of almost feeling an end, it's almost an endless feeling especially when you're younger and you're not you're smaller and the world it seems quite, kind of so big for you and uh you know, I remember that uh, as a, that one particular uh, winter, and I must have been somewhere 16, 17, and it was a lot of fun to be out there, like, day after day skating. So uh, uh, it's a fun thing, and, uh, you know, I, I wish I had more time to do more of it now. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, with times get busy, but it's uh, it's quite an experience for, I think, anybody who loves hockey and plays hockey. I mean, it's, it's something that's unique and special and different to the game, and I'm I think that's why the idea of the outdoor game has been has been really received so well, and um, because I think everybody who is hockey people gets they get it, they understand what makes it special, and uh, you know it's really for me it's kind of a celebration of the game, these outdoor games, particularly the Winter Classic. It's a celebration of our sport, and it's kind of like a Super Bowl feel. I mean, obviously it's not as big as the Super Bowl, but it's that kind of feel where hockey people kind of come together in the same place, and we have that one game that people focus on. So it's, uh, I think it was a great idea. And um, in the individual markets where these events take place, there's a lot of excitement about having them. I mean, nationally, sometimes, you know, there's been a number of them and it's, that might change, but I think you go into, you know, the, the, the places where these games take place and the people are really excited to have them. Yeah, I have to agree. I think it's, it's been great for the sport and having that, attention on the game of hockey and not necessarily on what's at stake between the two teams, like you said, has been a, a great thing for the sport yeah. to build the, the fandom. And, and it's exciting to, to have had it for 10 years. It's, it's hard to 
you know, recall it as a novelty because it's been something that's been kind of novel every year that it's come around. Yeah. So, um, EJ, I just wanted to say thank you again. I, uh, I and all of our fans in the Boston area uh, are really grateful for you taking some time to impart some wisdom on us. Well, hey, listen, Adam, it's my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Uh, anytime, and uh, you know, it's just uh, you know, all hockey. It's what we do, so it's no no problem on my end. <laughs> thank Bundle you. Up. Yeah, thank you again. Bundle up, and uh, we'll watch for you on the first. Yeah, I'll be bundled. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, EJ. Thanks Take care. again. Transitioning out of this, how do you think the go- the Bruins should play the goalie tandem? in this series? If, would you put Tuca or uh, Yarrow up against the Sabres? Do you save one of those two for the Winter Classic because it's the bigger stage? What do you think? So I, I had tweeted about this, and uh, at least in what I would personally do, and I had said that, <clears throat> excuse me, I would give a lock to start against New Jersey and then Buffalo because the Buffalo game was more important, and then you give Rask the, you know, the big winter classic start that, uh, you know, even though he's the backup this year, he's still the higher paid goalie. He's a longtime Bruin. He has the special custom mask made. All of those things, I think, are factors in it. And that's how I would have handled it. But I know Bruce mentioned today that uh, Rask was going to get to start against Buffalo and then TBD on who starts the winter classic. Personally, my opinion is Rask was always going to start it. I feel pretty strongly about that, but we'll we'll see, Jake. I mean, what do you think? How how would you think Bruce should handle it? How would you handle it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Rask's game to start. I think if they're committing to the storyline that Tuca is your starting goaltender, you put him out on the biggest stage, no matter what. And that's if you're going to do that, it's the Winter Classic. Um, I think it's fine if he's starting in Buffalo, which it appears he might be tomorrow night. I think the reasoning behind that is even if he loses. It gives the motivation to have a rebound game for the Winter Classic where you're literally going to be displayed in front of millions of people and people who would normally ordinarily not watch hockey want to be able to display the sport as like proudly as possible. So I think that regardless of whether Tuca starts in Buffalo or whether he doesn't, I say the Winter Classic is his. I think the only way he doesn't start is if he just absolutely stinks, stinks out the joint against Buffalo, in which case he might, might sort of be forced to start a lock, but... I think I think I agree. I think it's Rask's game to start, for better or worse. Yeah, I think I think um, the the for me the narrative hasn't fully flipped yet. I mean, Yaros played really well, and right now is statistically the better goalie for Boston. But um, you know, I think the reason he was brought in is because he can take some of that pressure off of Tuca, and Rask has had a good amount of rest over the last couple of weeks, given the holiday hiatus and uh you know a few a few fewer starts for the worst possible phrasing uh, in the last weeks before that so i think he's well situated to play well against buffalo hopefully and then be able to play two starts in a row like he has many times throughout his career just you know a little less recently based on how well yara's been playing yeah, I think, you know, I talked to a, a handful of uh, followers and fans about this to sort of gauge people's uh, take on this and their opinion and, and, and all of that. And I think that I won't use the word overwhelmingly, but I think a majority of fans want Tuca to start. 
like I said, he's a longtime Bruin. He's he's you know third or fourth highest paid goalie in the league. He's a marquee player. But without being too critical, I think that it's important to make the distinction that if you're going on merit, Halak should absolutely be the one starting the game. And it, it's not close. You know, Rask has not had a particularly strong year. Halak has had a very strong year. And I'm not naive enough to think that it's just merit-based, you know, anywhere, let alone in the NHL. But, you know, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that Halak certainly deserves the opportunity, as does Rask. Again, you know, he's a longtime Bruin. But, you know, I think that's something that got missed in a lot of the conversations about about this topic and why it can be so hard for Bruce and for the coaching staff to make decisions about this because you have two deserving guys that you have to to pick between. But, uh, you know, I think they're both capable of winning the game and I'll enjoy watching it either way. You know, hopefully it's a, a good matchup, win or lose uh, for the team. It can't be worse than the last Winter Classic with the Bruins. So, you know, it's only up from here, right? I hope so. All right. Like, uh, like I said, the roster's going to settle in January. We're we're in for the best, guys. I like wow. the positive. New year, let's go. <laughs> I like the positive attitude. New year, new us. Um, we'll see. Uh, with that, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the episode. Want to thank everyone for listening as always. Um, did want to say a huge thanks to our special guest um, on this episode. Really appreciate EJ coming on to talk winter classic and, and Bruins with us today. You can follow him. If you aren't already, you should be at E J H R A D E K underscore N H L. Great follow. Very knowledgeable guy. Uh, great information. As always, you can follow Adam on Twitter at the creative anomaly and Jake at Jake underscore riser. I believe I always get this wrong. Is that correct? Um, it's just Jake riser straight up. One of these episodes, I will get it correct. I promise. <laughs> and as always, you can follow the, the podcast at SB unsupervised and me at, at C Beswick. Um, we appreciate you listening. If you have time, give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen and I uh, hope everyone has a, a happy new year's from all of us on the podcast and at Stanley cup of chowder.